Let's have a word of prayer, and we will get started tonight. Father, we do thank you for the beautiful snow we've been able to enjoy, but also the safety you've provided the church families that have come here tonight. Uh, Lord, there is every day that goes by that you are, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, taking care of sparrows and so many other things, and certainly you are caring for us, and we thank you for that, even when we don't always acknowledge it. And tonight, Father, as we continue to look at sharing our faith, uh, help us to remember that the brightness of sharing our faith is not in our ability to deliver it as much as it is our ability by the grace of God to live it and to show what the difference is that you have made in our lives through Christ. So, Lord, as we study tonight, as we talk through things tonight, may it be profitable, but may it move us most importantly to depend on you in the doing of our work as ambassadors for Christ. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Uh, just curious, because I was delinquent. How many of you got the email that had the homework attached to it? Okay, good. I won't ask a second question, because I can go with the second question. You don't want me to ask that question. How many of you did the homework? Yeah, I want to ask that one. All right, even though I just did. Um, normally, oh, crud. You have to buy the book to do the homework. No, no. Yeah. I was going to try to do it without yeah, it. Yeah. I have the, I do have... What we'll do is we'll end a couple minutes early. i running around with things. I left it on the copier, so I've got the homework for us, a piece of paper. So every every class time when we get done, it's usually sitting right there for you to walk off with. And the whole point of it is this. Most of us are not going to have time to read and do everything in every chapter. It's just not possible for most people. And so the question is... Okay, if you're going to skip and choose parts of it, what parts to skip and choose? So the whole point is to have us all on the same page. If I give you this, then it helps us to know these are the things we want to focus on. So it's not giving it to you so you're stuck with homework as much as it is trying to streamline it a tad and getting us all on the same page. All right, last week when we ended, uh, we're, we're jumping in. Last week was introduction and really kind of wanting to set the table a little bit, looking at the sovereignty of, the, of God, the Father in particular, in the book of John, John chapter 6, but also looking at how that impacts us in regard to sharing the gospel. And that is, sharing our faith is not so much ability as it is dependence upon God to do the work that only He can do. And as we're starting tonight looking at our first issue impacting your world, the world that God has put you in. All of us, as I look around this room, there's a lot of different worlds we're in. As I look around the room, there are, there are the world of retirement, there's a world of moms, there's the world of workers, there's a world of office workers, there's a world of outside workers, inside workers, all kinds of stuff in this room. All right? So we're in different worlds, and we have different places that we at times hang at. Maybe we have a coffee shop, maybe we have a grocery store, we see the same person. I don't usually see the same person in the grocery store because usually I am. my goal is to not see people in the grocery store, but is to get it and get out as quickly as I possibly can. So if I see you there, I think I've seen, where's Westdale? Oh, he's not in our class. He was in our class last time. I've seen Jan in the store a couple times, and then we, neither one of us had our makeup on when we did that. So, all right. But, I'm sure she is more distressed than yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Phyllis. Yeah, she might be. And I, I wouldn't even know because I don't pay attention to that. But as, as we have our world, the world that God has put us in, I go back to where we ended last time. And, and, I, and I throw this out because what I don't want this to be in our study going through this is just an academic study that doesn't move us to take some type of tangible steps uh, practical steps in what are we going to do about this. So there are some things I'm going to keep revisiting to get our attention. And going back to this, really just, I'll throw these questions up here. Matter of fact, let's go back to these two. And I'm not asking for testimonies. I'm not asking for raise of hand. I'm asking so you just mentally answer this. Within the last week, have either of these two changed in your life? Number two is going to be hard to do if, well, let's put it this way, when it comes to neighbors, it will be hard to do if we don't know the names. Now, obviously, if we have co-workers, family, uh, obviously, you know their names, that sort of thing. But have we taken any step in our mind of, yeah, how can I do that? Or even number three, number three is what we avoid, and that is 
we think that God, I would be so much happy, I would be full of love, joy, peace, long suffering, blah 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 blah. If you would just get these people out of my life that are driving me nuts. But what we don't realize is God produces that fruit in our life by putting us in those places because He will do what we can't do. Um, you know, we we want to run from those people, but. When it comes to sharing our faith, God has put us there for that reason, but we don't always think of that. We think, how can I get out of this? Or difficult circumstances. So I, I just start by, without asking you to raise your hand, share testimony, unless you would like to share something, something that difficult person, difficult situation, or even just, hey, like Jenny Jones shared with me a few weeks back, saying, hey, I, I got to know my neighbor's name. And this is from our last class when we had the class. But I want to keep that in front of us because having a gospel-centered life starts with gospel-centered thinking, and that is everything God has put me in isn't just for my own comfort and my own uh, prosperity, even though we don't buy into the prosperity gospel. It is so that we are representing Christ and communicating Christ. The question is, what are we doing with it? That being said, I take us to this from last week, and then we'll jump into where we're going. Um, And I I, I said last week that every week from now until the end of this class, we're going to revisit these verses. As a matter of fact, in the lesson, it's in the verse. The the verses were in the lesson. But can I just ask you to do this with me? Because it's one of those, they say you remember 30, 40% of what you hear. So I'm like, wow, we're not going to do really well. And they say maybe 50 to 60, 70% of what you hear and see. So hence the PowerPoint, you hear and see. And then they say maybe 70% or more of what you hear and see and do. In other words, you're hands-on. Well, hands-on is each week let's together read these verses because our, our, our question of God is will you help us to do this, all right? So would you just read these aloud with me because we're going to keep coming back to them through the course of this semester, all right? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer to each person. We have often memorized, is the same word we have We have often memorized verse 6 alone. Verse 6 goes very clearly with the previous verses, and that is, it's not just being gracious in our speech with one another, but how we communicate in our, in our relationships in life. If we are, uh, putting it bluntly, if we are that jerk co-worker, please, by all means, don't tell people you're a Christian. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I've seen that happen. Or somebody is lazy, or somebody is the one in the office that everybody wants to avoid. Well, that's what Paul is talking about, that we must recognize as impacting our reaching out. So, as we step forward tonight, I, I just want to keep throwing out there as we looked at last week, salvation is of God. Um, the Father is the initiator, which means we must be faithfully praying for the lost, as Paul is saying, but we often fail to pray uh, because perhaps we don't fully buy into that, or you can be somebody who is what is called a hyper-Calvinist, and that is, well, if God has chosen him, I just sit back and wait till it happens because it's all up to God. Well, you have a hard time making a case for that with the rest of Scripture. Because if Jesus said anything in the Great Commission, and we often say he said go, he didn't. He said literally, the verb is make disciples. Then he connects, he says, as you are going, make disciples, which is implying wherever we are going through life, our responsibility is make disciples. So we can't just say, hey, well, God's done it, so I just sit back and watch the show. Uh, Well, and certainly we are not only disconnecting what Jesus has said, quite frankly, we're disobedient. And and that's where we need to go. So tonight, you're on page 1.1 if you have the book. If you're too cheap to buy the book, there's more out there. I have no idea. 
there may be some out there. I said, I can't say much because I'll lose my children's ministry coordinator for making fun of her, so not a chance. <laughs> one dot one there, overview the issue. What I try to do each week is not, I don't like to be the teacher that reads the book out loud for you. How ridiculous is that? We don't do that. Uh, but the point is to highlight some things as we jump into this each week. You know, as we overview the issue, I think what caught me as we start this in the, uh, in the study tonight was the first sentence and the question that ended that paragraph. If you have the book, look with me. If you need your glasses like I do, pull them out. It says, while most of us understand the importance of sharing our faith, many of us struggle in this crucial area. And as Pastor Ken would say, and all God's people said, yeah, because it is a struggle. Uh, it is one of those, as I said last week, if we did a sermon on praying or on sharing the gospel, we're all going to feel guilty because we often fail in those areas. They are hard areas because both of them demand an incredible amount of dependence upon God. Um, unless we buy into the, I can work this out like we saw the bad examples of method and sharing the gospel. But here's the neat part of the question at the end of that paragraph. It says, how can evangelism become a natural part of our lives? In other words, we may struggle, but how do we go from struggling here, not to being you know, victorious or whatever we want to call it, but more of it just being a natural part of our life? And that is, we are looking at those difficult people. We are looking at those difficult circumstances. We are looking at those unusual questions or surprise conversations and recognizing God may be just in answer to our prayers doing what Paul said to the Colossians. God is opening that door. The question is, will we be too busy or too distracted to see that and we go run right on by and we've missed that open door? That's where we want to make it that natural part of our lives. And underneath that, in the overview, there are four bullet points. I want to just really look at the last two. It says, here's where we're going to go, but this is the two that I want us to make sure we are thinking through in this first section, and that is, we're evaluating our personal effectiveness in impacting people for Christ. And again, you're going to go back to the default sentence, that's the first sentence in the first paragraph. I struggle with this, you know, I'm not effective, that's why I'm sitting in this class, or I'm not, and, and that's not, I shouldn't have said it that way. Because it sounds like, all right, you're taking a class because you're all really bad at sharing the gospel. That's not the point. I'm teaching this class because all of us, like me, uh, the shy guy who, yeah, I admitted last week there were times through ministry days years ago that knocking door to door, I was happy when they didn't answer the door and I could just drop the track and run, you know, like dropping a grenade. That's easier, you know. Um, But we do want to see that it isn't something awkward that God has called us to do. It is something that should be natural in the flow of life, not in this, we go and bombard a neighborhood necessarily with sharing the gospel. So if we're going to be personally effective, then the next one says we need to examine changes that we need to make in our lives in order to have a more powerful influence on the unbelievers around us. It is basically in the world but not of the world. And I cannot even see this. So, Here's the questions that are coming out in this chapter tonight. And, and again, I'm not going to ask each week who did the homework and who didn't. Whenever I ask questions, I used to have Carol and Poole sitting right where Vince is. And, I, you know, yeah, they're smirking because they knew where it went. I always could tell. As soon as I ask a question, I could tell by your face who did it and who didn't do it. All right. And Carolyn always had it nailed. So if nobody else answered, I looked at Carolyn. All right. She had it. But the whole point is, this the the discovery series is is challenging us to think through, process, and plug in. All right. That's really where we want to go. So when we talk about these issues, here's the questions. They go back to a sermon the pastor preached quite a long time ago from Matthew 5 about being salt and light. That's where this chapter is going. And it's saying, what did Jesus mean when he said that we are to be salt and light? We won't revisit everything with that because we heard a sermon on that. What are the implications of his teaching? How can we have a greater impact on people around us for Christ? And how can we fulfill our calling to be salt and light? Now, if you happen to have looked at that email... And then secondly, went a step further, you did a little bit of the homework on that. 
what I did ask in these bullet points down here in the sound bites is, all right, think through these sound bites. There's half a dozen or so of them as you read them. Some of them, some of them are intentionally wrong. Some of them are intentionally, intentionally intended. They are intended to prod us, to poke us. Uh, but the whole point is to get us thinking. But the thing that I asked of you is, as you read these, highlight what you thought or heard in the past or what is true in your efforts to share your faith. In other words, maybe you've heard this before or perhaps this has been true for you in your life. Uh, that being said, this is where I stop talking and you start. Um, as, we, as we look at these sentences, um, all of these, I, I always think through them in different ways. How did you process it? What what jumped off the page, either from sharing your faith, what you heard in the past, or where you are today? I've heard the third one a lot. I know Father trying to verbally share the gospel, just trying to live it. And I feel like I've been that way, too, when you've asked before, because I tend to be a little introverted at times, too. So I tend to think, oh, well, if I'm just a good example, then maybe they'll come to me about it, but it's pretty rare that people go to you. You usually have to be the one to, they may come with problems or certain things, but not typically questions about your faith. Yeah, awesome. And, and here's here's exactly what Bill Hybels, and I forget the other dude's name that wrote this article, Mark Middleburg. Here's exactly what they said about that, because what Jamie just shared is what probably the high percentage of us have done, and that is, well, I just try to live like a Christian, and hopefully they'll kind of pick up on that, and they'll ask the question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul. But here's what he said about that, hopefully I can find it. He said, exactly what Jamie just said, he said, let's be honest, that almost never happens. In other words, we just kind of live the life and hopefully come people come up to us. And this is what he went on to say, God forbid that we stop there because people end up in hell on that plan. In other words, yeah, that is our default mode. And that is we have heard live the Christian life and back in the 60s, we look different. You know, you got the hippie thing going on, you got Woodstock, you get the Beatles, so Christians, they got the hair cut, and, you know, they're wearing suits and ties, and these guys are wearing ragged clothes and all this kind of stuff, so suddenly it's like, well, there's the Christians and there's the non-Christians. Now you've got facial hair and church people and stuff like that, and, you know, what's the difference? But that is one that, as the article will say, is one of the death blows to us sharing the gospel. Thank you for sharing that. What else? statements um, Jesus said that the road to life was narrow and few will find it God has chosen who will be saved so we should just wait for the people God is working on to come to us and that would be false God uses means that would be us yeah and, and, and that's that is an example of what I've said hyper Calvinism alright Hyper-Calvinism says, hey, I'm all on board with John chapter 6. The Father initiates it. He's doing the drawing. He's doing the calling. So I just sit back. But if Jesus said anything before he left this earth, he said, make disciples. And the whole book of Acts is all about what that group of men did and how the church began and the church is all about that. So absolutely. Anything else? Have any of you ever felt like where it says, frankly, I'm still trying to get my own life together. I don't feel ready to talk to my friends about Christ. You ever feel like that in your life? Like, you know, I'm just really stumbling here, struggling, you know, and if people really knew what kind of Christian I really was, um, they wouldn't want to be like me, all right? Yeah, there's times like that. Uh, But here's the reality. It may be that even in some of those worst of times, God will use those worst of times to open unusual doors for the gospel. Uh, And I say that because here's what Satan does. Satan says, yes, you're right. You are that bad kind of person. So what does that motivate us to do? Nothing. It motivates us to sit back and punt and 
He's won the day. He has convinced us that we are bad rather than we are good in Christ. That is the wonderful beauty of the gospel. And no matter on my worst day or my best day, I don't wait for my best day to share it. My worst day may be my biggest step of faith going against what I feel to share my faith with somebody else. So that's that's a part of what we're talking about here is impacting your world. Um, and it, it's forced me. I, mean, I, I, I like teaching this class. I've never taught this class before, so I'm loving walking through this because it's forcing me to think through my neighbors. And like I said, I, I work here at the church, so there's not a whole lot of unsaved people working here. You know, there's a lot of church people working here, you know, or walking around here. But with my neighbors, I, I want to find ways. Even, I don't have to wait till the weather gets warmer. There can be ways to connect with my neighbors. And, and how can I do that? And how can I reach out to them? Because God has put us back there on Arlington in Allen Park for a reason with those people. Um, not simply to just be another good neighbor. Because there's a lot of good neighbors out there that are on their way to hell. Uh, the question is, what can we do? Now, Maria... I'm not going to take time to read this. Maria is sharing essentially what has been a struggle for, I would say, I would say this was a bigger struggle in the 60s and 70s, and that is, uh, it's kind of like people become a believer, and it's almost like we say, get out of that world of unbelievers. Now, if you knew my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, i just tell you a quick story on him. When he was saved back in the 1960s, Back in the early 1970s, maybe 69, 1970, he became a believer. But he and his brother grew up in Philadelphia, rough side of Philadelphia. Their dad was a prison guard, and uh, they were doing drugs, dealing drugs, and gangs, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he had hair down the middle of his back. Now he has, like, no hair. Um, And God saved him out of that. But he saved first his brother John, and then Steve got saved. But they were both in a very strong, drug-drinking, wild world that in their situation, they needed to get out of town. They needed to get out of Dodge because it was hard for them to fight against that because there were so many temptations and people coming at them about this. So they ended up living in Oak Forest, Illinois with a pastor there who ministered to them and helped them. And I still remember Steve telling me a story one time that... uh, he was going door to door in his early days with this church sharing the gospel, and somebody slammed the door on him and he cursed him. You know, well, he's, he's a new believer. He's a little ticked that somebody would have the nerve to slam the door on him, you know? And he was still fighting with, uh, you know, I want to smoke, but it's like, you know, you don't want to walk up to the door smoking while you're handing him a track. So, you know, it, it was part of what God was doing in his life. And, you know, we, we then during that time had often said, yeah, in that, their situation, they needed to get out of that environment because it was not only a, an environment that would easily be, could slide back into, but it was a dangerous environment because of what they had done. Uh, and so in that situation, I would say that was wisdom. But often what we've done is we've created this um, sterile church environment. In other words, an antibiotic church environment. And that is, we can't let any germs in here so we have everything church-oriented to the point where we're living in the bubble, and and we have said anything outside the bubble is kind of is the germy world, you know. And and the whole point is we're looking at what Maria is saying in this in the situation in her life that used to be said often, and that is you got to keep people out of the world. Um, you can't let them have unsafe friends. I can remember being told that in the seventies. You know, you don't want to have unsafe friends. You need church friends. And that's true. And we can take Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron, so a man the countenance of his friend. That's true. But if we pull everybody back, then the thing that Jesus prayed in John 17 will never happen. Jesus prayed, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, don't let them isolate themselves, but insulate them from the world. And, and that's where, um, in our impacting the world, it requires us to dirty our hands. It doesn't require us to soil our souls. Um, you know, it's like, I think I heard the story of Spurgeon praying his sermon at a bar in London. I don't remember the whole story, but I'm not advocating that. I'm not advocating walking into McGillicuddy's bar and, you know, let's just let me stand up on a kind of table and, and, and share the gospel. 
Uh, but obviously, there are situations that God puts us in and gives us opportunity to share it, but we don't avoid it. On page 1.2 of your book, if you go to that second page, if you're not already there, and I'm throwing these up here, and I didn't even, I'm horrible at doing this remembering. Here's the central question. Each chapter, each lesson we go through is asking, all right, where are we trying to go with this? And I try to answer the question. The point is, is not to read everything and then come back and answer the question. The point is, what have they said so far, so where do I think they're trying to go with this? In other words, what's the point? Well, they've given us a hint. The chapter is about impacting your world. So if I, if I look at what they've said so far, what's the central question or the issue before us? Here's what I've put. It doesn't mean it's the right answer, but I encourage you in the future, if you have that in your book, try to think through what is the issue. Because if we'll make ourselves think through it, then perhaps we'll take that next step to do something about it. And that is, I put down my answer is, what do I or we need to do to best influence my world for Christ? Um, and, it, and that's not anything big beyond this, the, basically the title, but the whole point is, light and salt if we want to take that section of the Sermon on the Mount, rather than dealing with, you know, what was he meaning by salt and light, and that's in our in our chap in our section on the extra reading, the bottom line is Jesus is saying, You and I are in this world to influence that world. And I don't mean just influence them like the moral majority to make moral changes in society, to influence them to Jesus Christ then he will change their lives. Uh, if it's the old adage, you can't clean a fish until you catch it. Uh, we often did that in ministry and gospel. We try to get, we tell people, hey, I mean, I, I remember churches in the 70s, no kidding, that still boggles my mind, 70s and 80s. Churches that when people came in and weren't dressed correctly, I mean, we're talking suit and tie and ladies in a dress, they were asked to not come back unless they dress differently. I mean, are, are you for real? The churches did that all across the country because we had bought into a mindset that wasn't what this was saying. Um, yes, the church is primarily, I mean, the church on Sunday is primarily for Christians. Worship is for Christians. Only Christians can truly worship. I mean, every unbeliever does worship, but they don't worship God. They worship themselves. They worship what their world's about. Now, having said that, that our thoughts are to influence our world for Christ, here's where we go to the Scripture. And I, I don't want to, I never want to shortchange this because for me the bottom line is the Scripture. The Scripture is the foundation for how we need to think. So let me just read these verses quickly, and then each of these section of verses, I've picked one question for us to interact on, all right? Here's what Jesus said as Pastor preached on this probably back at the end of maybe November or so. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. All right, so, two statements. We're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. Um, we'll get into a little bit of this in the article by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg, but... In this section, uh, I, I won't get into the details because there's so much debate on the salt side of things. All right, was salt a preservant? Was it a purifier? You know, was it to spice up the world? You know, a lot of different things. And, and like they said in the article, uh, "eeny meeny miny mo." You know, bottom line is we don't know exactly. It could have been one or a number of things, but obviously it was something in the world that would change the world. It's like having a meal that has no spices. We call this, when I was teaching Chinese students in China, English, we were talking about different ways to describe food. I said one of them is the word bland. All right, bland. Oh, that's what food is without salt. It's bland. But God has, in our lives, changed us so that there is something that makes this world no longer bland. The world is trying to find a way to make life not be bland through entertainment, success, food, whatever the case may be. 
We don't eat to live, we live to eat, unfortunately. That's just our culture today. We, we need to be entertained in our eating. Um, but when it comes to us as a Christian, we are influencing that world as salt and light. Now, here's the question that I chose to just get your input. And whether you prepared or not, it's all good. Um, because if, if Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, he's already answered, and this is where studying God's word, if we don't look at the context, we miss a part of what Jesus said. He says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, but in the first 12 verses, he's already said in the Beatitudes, here's what kind of people you are to be. And I believe even Pastor highlighted that when he got into these path, this passage. In other words, how we are to be salt and light has already been defined for us in the first 12 verses. You are these peacekeeping, gospel-loving, you are these people that are different than the rest of the world. That's how we are salt and light. But here's the question. I picked the second one there at the bottom. It says, what conclusions regarding our relationships with people who don't know Christ can we draw from the pictures of salt and light? In other words, how does that correspond with Jesus' exhortation to be in the world but not of it? In other words, if we are to be salt and light, that means we are influencing the world, but Jesus is saying in John 17, in the world but not of the world. How do we reconcile that? In other words, what are some conclusions we ought to draw? What are some basic conclusions we should draw? If we're to be salt and light, but in the world and not of the world, what are some things we have to come to conclude on that? And I'm not looking for big, profound statements, just simple things, basic things. We don't have to avoid, like, so, you know, you don't have to shut yourself off from the world, because then your light would be shining, and they wouldn't see it if you did. Yeah. I mean, what, what <laughs> Phil just said is exactly what Jesus did that he was criticized for the most. He didn't avoid the filthy people. He hung with them. He was criticized for that. He was... That was one of the things religious leaders busted him for the most. But that's the very thing that Jesus is saying with this. We are to be in that. That doesn't mean we are to run and be tainted with it. But if we don't, we cut off the lifeline that this world needs. Thank you. Yes, Phyllis. When when we involve ourselves with other people, we, we acquaint ourselves with them and we get in touch with them, we find ourselves in similar situations with them. Mm-hmm. And it's then, I believe, that we can, that that we have that light in us because we react differently. Mm-hmm. Because we're believers, we react differently than the world does. They see that, that is our opportunity to share Jesus with them. Right. The only reason that I can avoid, you know, wrong in a situation like that isn't because I'm any better. Mm-hmm. It's because I have Jesus to give me strength to resist it. Right, absolutely. 9-11 is perfect illustration of that. We were all shocked, in disbelief, horrified. The adjectives can go on and on to describe how we felt at that time. But, as believers, we had hope in that because in the midst of that, there's a God who controls everything. Now, obviously, that created some big tensions in unbelievers' minds, like, okay, if he could have controlled, if he controls everything, uh, why didn't he stop four planes from hitting the locations that they did? Well, that's another discussion for another day, all right? But it did open huge doors for the Gospels, and, and it got people to think about our country. I mean, how many times did you see people singing the national anthem like never before at baseball games, football games, and whatever for months after that? But it also did on the, on the Christian side of it. It opened people to think about life in a way that they didn't. And, and uh, oftentimes, it is those things that God allows us to run into people providentially that we find out, hey, this is, an, this is a door for the gospel. Uh, that may be that person at work who may be the most annoying person you have, but you find out they've got an aunt, an uncle, a brother, a sister, a spouse, a baby that's sick and in the hospital, and they're hanging out, and you go hang with them, and that's all you do. Um, you don't have all the right words to say, but you show them a love that keeps a bridge open, even though perhaps, personally, you want to avoid them like the plague. But yet, God's put us there for that reason. What else? What other conclusions can we draw? Very good. 
being deeply rooted, but I think it there you use the word hope, being hope, mm-hmm. but um, being ready so that when you are around the other people and you're building relationships, you are ready for the things so that you can go back to whatever it said. Um, you know, I'm not good at sharing it. Or, I mean, just being ready and being rooted so that when you're around the people, you, you have that confidence, but also you're as ready as you can be. Absolutely, absolutely. Because since Jesus has said, he hasn't said, some of you that are good speakers and have good personalities are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. If we are a child of God, we all are. And so the question is, that being said, are we readying ourselves to do that, to step up when those opportunities are there? And part of readying is, as he says in the article, is... Yeah, having at least a, a basic idea of how I might share the gospel. And, you know, as always is the case, one of the easiest ways to start that is starting with our testimony. And from there, that naturally can go into explaining it. But when we think of these things, that's that's part of what we have to... I mean, as, as Jesus is giving this, there's got to be a difference between our lives and the people that we're impacting. There must be. So that assumes, if we're salt and light, that that we are living differently, we are responding differently to crises or to good things. That also means that we aren't burning all our bridges with all our friends. If God has put us in the neighborhood, and let's say our neighborhood has a block party, you know, there were there was a time when people that were church-going people would say, you don't go to that block party because they're drinking or smoking. Or, not a chance, man. Are you kidding me? I get to know my neighbors? You know what? They throw back a cold one, I throw back a cold one. My cold one's Diet Coke, you know? <laughs> it's, well, it's all right. All right? But the, the whole point is, if I'm going to avoid that, I, I have run from the mission field, and I've run to my, my safety zone, which is not the mission. I mean, honestly, our world is incredibly safe when it comes to the gospel here in America. Crazy safe. I mean, the rest of the world is more like what Paul and the disciples and all those early believers faced in sharing their faith. You want to understand that? Read the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is five times warning them about their faith because some of them were ready to give up because it was so hard and so overwhelming and so devastating to them. We don't understand that. And yet part of being that salt and light is God's put us there and we've got an easy world, but it's easy to want to just stay easy rather than pursuing it. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16 is saying, we're light. We are salt. The question is, what are we doing about that? Well, I haven't flipped this. Great thing to have a PowerPoint that you never use. All right? Next scripture, Luke 19, 1 through 10. I'm not going to read it all for sake of time. It is the story of Zacchaeus. All right? We could break out and Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and we could all sing that together. Or if you don't know the song, you just look at me like, what the heck are you talking about? All right? All right? But... Here's the question. I just go right to the question that I that I threw out to you to think through. This question. Why? And I think it's a great question because it's not an easy answered question, quite frankly. Why did Jesus initiate contact with Zacchaeus? What was it about Zacchaeus that made Jesus reach out to him in love? And, you know, look at those ten verses. Perhaps you did. Um, look at those ten verses. What would you say knowing the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus picking him out of the crowd, and we could say, well, he was up in the tree, so Jesus looked up and said, hey, there's Zacchaeus. All right, why? There's a reason. Uh, What would you say? Uh, And when they asked that question, I thought, you know, I don't know that there's any reason we can say dogmatically we know exactly Jesus' mind, because we don't. But we can assume a couple things and perhaps conjecture maybe this is why. So what have you presumed, assumed, conjecture. What do you think is reasons why? Opportunity. Okay. Opportunity. Explain that for us, Gene. Well, because he knew that Zacchaeus needed changes in his life. Okay. This was a perfect time for him to take advantage of it. Okay. Opportunity. Opportunity. Zacchaeus was up in the tree, but he had... And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be rotten to you, Gene. Gene's like the sweetest apple pie, all right? I'm going to be rotten to you. All right. But there are all a bunch of sinners around. Why did he pick Zacchaeus? That's the tricky one, because that's what they're forcing us to ask, all right? There was a bunch of sinners walking around. A whole mess of sinners walking around. 
but Zacchaeus was up in the tree. What was it that may have been the added incentive, or what? Chosen. Okay, he was chosen. All right, now that's kind of cheating because then that's the God side of the God made it, right? All right, all right. What's that? Okay, I mean Zacchaeus. I mean, immediately when Jesus said, I'm going to be with you, what do the religious people do? They're like, oh, man, you know, just typical. He's hanging with these people, and he is the worst of the worst. Um, because he was. And if you read what it said underneath it, and we know this, I mean, we forget that Matthew, who wrote the Gospel Matthew, he was as hated as Zacchaeus. He was the IRS crooked version. Zacchaeus was the IRS, and we already think they're crooked, but they're, those guys were really crooked. There's right? only one version. I mean, they were crooked, hated, you know, whatever, yeah. And, and so when it comes to that, we can look at that and go, all right, I don't know, why did he pick him? You know, why did he pick Zacchaeus of all people to hang with? He was a sinner. He knew, maybe he knew he was chosen, yeah, maybe the God said. Bill? Well, he admits he's a sinner. Okay. Where the other people said, oh, he's going... To the house of the sinner, they're all sinners too, but they don't admit that they are. Mm-hmm. So I take from that that at least Zacchaeus said, "I'm a sinner. I'm giving everything. I'm giving half of my stuff away. I'm going to pay back." Maybe cool. that was why you're thinking. Let me throw one out to you. We might say, well, perhaps it was because, and this is one of my answers I wrote down. I might say, well, maybe it was due to his eagerness to see Jesus. But remember the rich young ruler. This guy was eager. He drops to his knees. He says, Lord, what do I need to do? And at the end of the day, he walked away what? Sad, dejected, because Jesus cut right to the heart of what he knew he would not let go of to truly become a child of God. Now, whether he ever did, when we get to heaven, we'll find out. But I look at it in the context, I don't know that it's necessarily because of his eagerness, because one of the clues is the last verse in these ten verses. And it's a verse probably some of us learned when we were a kid memorizing verses for Awana, BBS, or whatever. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Alright? Jesus makes this incredibly profound statement. And he's illustrated it by choosing Zacchaeus out of the tree. Because these religious leaders that are following around, and they're not saying amen, they're saying everything but amen to what he's saying. They're criticizing him, and he's showing them that when it comes to the gospel, you know, we, we make the mistake of thinking, no, I should say we, they did. They made the mistake of thinking, well, he should have just been hanging with us because we're the religious right. But like the publican and the Pharisee story that Jesus gives, Pharisee, he was self-righteous. He had it all figured out. He didn't need God. Jesus is showing those who recognize their sinfulness are the people I came. That's why I am here. And that's why we're here. Um, we are here still on this earth to be salt and light to those God has put us, not to criticize or to find fault. Sinners will do what sinners do. So why am I trying to change them? I'm trying to show them there's a different way. And that way is, unlike what Oprah has said, is only one way. And that one way is Jesus Christ. Any other answers to that? I mean, I've blabbed a couple. We've had some great answers. Anything else that maybe you've written down or said? I was just thinking, as an example to us, you know, Jesus didn't take the path of least resistance in his soul. You know, so there's probably people around that would have been a lot more popular to chat with or just receptive to what he had to say. Yeah. He's like, ah, go for that guy that's way up in the street and ask electric guy, you know, that person. Yeah. And, and, and really, I'm going to have to make a weird illustration. It's almost like we pick the easy fruit because we think the easy fruit will be like the rich young ruler. I mean, here's a dude comes running in, asks all the right questions. He's on his knees. He looks eager. Let's pick that one. And quite frankly, that may not be the one because sometimes Jesus and the parable of the sower and the soils shows very clearly that three out of four of these ones that did respond, it wasn't real faith. Only the one that produced fruit. And so, yes, he is choosing this one, he is reaching out to this one who is perhaps the most unlikely to respond. And that's when, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, talking about the 
the moronic nature of the gospel is it doesn't make sense to the world because it's not the rich, it's not the popular, it's the weak, it's the foolish. Um, that's us. And, and that's what then glorifies God when the gospel changes a Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus doesn't just say, yeah, I'm a sinner. He's like, immediately, I'm going to give back fourfold. There's a heart of repentance. There's a heart that the Father has opened to the truth, and he sees the surpassing greatness and glory of Christ more than all the stuff he's been scamming off of people for who knows how long. Suddenly, all that he's been scamming off of people looks like nothing because what he sees in Christ is everything, and he's changed. He's turned. Right? That's what Jesus has done. One more text, and this is our text from tonight that we won't even say much about because we, we read it, um, and we will keep hitting it along the way. Um, but he does, and I won't take time to read this one because we've already read it tonight, but Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. I did ask us to, to pick the question. It was the se- second of the three questions. What did Paul mean when he told his readers to be wise in their actions toward outsiders? Why is wisdom an important aspect of sharing our faith? Um, when you think in terms of that, because here's the context, um, he is, as we've already looked at talking about prayer, we often disconnect verses 5 and 6 from everything that he's saying. But in verse 5, he's making a very specific point. What does it mean for us to be wise toward unbelievers? In what way? Making the most of the opportunities that we have. Okay, so explain that for us, Kim. What is making the most of the opportunity? Yeah, people are going to be quit. able to speak Okay. Their lives right. as those doors are being opened. Yeah. Okay. So we we when we see an opportunity, we don't just go, okay, yeah, that person needs Christ. We see the opportunity to step in with Christ, not just to go, yeah, that person needs the Lord. Um, we are alert to. I mean, I really, I just take the word alert. Um, how many times have can we admit that we go? Oh, they just asked a great question, but I was too busy to get on to the next thing I needed to get done, and I didn't answer that question. What a fool I was. And I've done that. I can remember numerous times going, I answered that, but I was more thinking about what I needed to do next rather than, man, God just did the Colossians 4 open door thing for me. All right? What else? What else shows wisdom? What else is Paul perhaps alluding to in saying this? Along the same line, almost the opposite, but making sure you're not closing doors yourself. I mean, where I work, it, it's about a 50-50 ratio. 50% Christians, 50% not. Take that times 200 people now. They're watching us. But I'm watching Christians close doors, lose their temper, get angry at somebody. And then you can get angry at me, and I'll forgive you next week. They don't forgive. The, those non-Christians, the door is closed. So we have to be really careful that we don't slam the door. So we might feel better next week, but they don't care. They're not going to listen to you next week. Absolutely. You've closed the door. Absolutely. You have to make sure you're keeping them open. You, you read my mind on the second follow-up question. That is, well, what does that look like? And that is, and that is, being wise means recognizing. And part of what I wrote down was believers. What believers are gives credibility to what they say. In other words, um, unbelievers, and you've probably we have this most with family members who are unbelievers, because they are looking for every little thing you screw up in to give them a reason for not going where you're going. Um, they are watching like hawks, and if they can see that nine times out of ten you're nailing it, but that one time out of ten that's going to be their justifications. They see you're just like me. You're, there's no difference. And that is living in wisdom, being alert that yes, whether we like it, sometimes we say that people in ministry live in a fishbowl. Uh, we're all in a fishbowl, quite frankly. When it comes to the gospel, we are in a fishbowl. The question is, what are we doing about it? What else? What other ways we need to be wise? Phyllis? The part of wisdom, especially I think with unsaved family members, people who are closest to you, and like you said, they've got you, you know, under their magnifying glass, and they're going to scrutinize everything. 
that you do say uh, to give themselves excuse. But part of the wisdom, I think, is in being truthful about our own folly, about our own foolishness, our own frailty. We are human. We're going to mess up. And we need to admit that, you know. And that's hard to do sometimes when it's your child or your grandchild. Right. But it's necessary. Right, yeah. You are honest with them that, yeah, you're not perfect. And on your best day, you're just a forgiven sinner. But you're still a sinner. Let me just throw one more in the, in the mix, and then we've got to move on for looking at this article briefly. Um, what about timing? What about wisdom when it comes to timing and, and sharing the gospel? Give me some good, bad examples of what does that look like or what should that not look like. I, I had yeah. experience with um, at the pro shop where I go so often I meet a bunch of women, and, and I just kind of short with my reaction to stuff, and I found for the last several months I just kind of like try to be a little bit more gracious with people, more mellow people, honest but mellow. Yeah. And, and what happened a couple weeks ago when the lady that came to church with me, she called, called me aside and wanted to know where I went to church. So, I mean, it doesn't, I hadn't really been giving her a lot of scripture, but I think sometimes just the way you treat people. Right, right. Yeah, our delivery. We can we can seem holier than thou kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. Vince, you had something? I think Zacchaeus, what you were talking about, he was bold. He was bold. He boldly went after Christ, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I think we we need to be a little bold too, mm-hmm. and not waiting and sitting back, uh, but bringing up the subject. You know, uh, just, just are you a churchgoer? Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can go many ways with that, right? And, 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 and here's, here's, the, here's the tricky part that I'm kind of hinting at. And, and Vince is talking about boldness. There's a difference between bold with our faith and reckless with our faith, right? Explain to me what reckless would look like when we're talking about time. Can you give me an example? Uh, kind of gathered our words with in Florida that was an atheist. He like, would love to tell me about it. He'd post stuff on his Facebook like all the time and ask me if I saw it. Like really like it's him just trying to be like offensive stuff, like you know, stupid stuff like that. And he would always tell me he didn't like how I had a Bible on my desk. Like he thought he thought it was offensive to him. Uh-huh. And I was like, and one time I was like, you know, I don't even know, like, you don't even know what this means. Like, I'm a Christian. You don't even ask me what I believe. And I was like so angry when I was talking to him. He just like started laughing. He's like, I totally got to you, didn't I? And I was like, no, no, no I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> and I'm still friends with this guy on Facebook. You know, he's a total, he's like the opposite of, you know, what my life is. Is his life, but I really felt <laughs> that like that was not the time for me to try to like start going into hell. No, you don't understand. This is why it's not like a fairy tale. Like that's not right for you to say. This is why it's serious. But I was like so flustered and angry at him. Yeah, it was a bad call. Yeah, you know. Well, and 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 you guys are playing off what I'm trying to get at, and that is, yes, our our personality. Many of us are not bold in our personality. Bold in our faith doesn't mean we're just loud and obnoxious. All right? That means we see opportunity, we step forward, even if we may be stepping forward with a lot of fear and trembling and feeling like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this thing up, uh, but God help me. We pray a quick prayer. I don't know what to say. Jesus, you said, you're going to help me, so help me right here. But the boldness and the timing, here's like family. Family, um, you know as well as anyone knows, when it comes to reaching family, Timing is everything. Uh, if we're going to do the, I'm going to, you know, this unsaved husband with the wife, and the wife's putting scripture verses under his pillow, or you know, writing with her lipstick on the mirror, you know, sort of thing. All right, yeah, she. This may be a good thing to share the gospel, but how do we do it when Peter says it's the life that's going to be what catches his attention, or with family members who you get the family reunion, and you know, you're the one that they're going to go after because you're the one odd duck that's not sitting there throwing back the drinks and getting rowdy. So they're going to pick on you. How will we respond? Will we just go right after them with Scripture, or are we going to just try to 
do what Colossians 4 says. Let your conversation be always full of grace. That is a part of boldness. That is a part of sharing our faith is keeping my conversation full of grace so that then it, it paves the way potentially for those. So that's the fine line of it. Now, we got to jump because, holy smoke, we have three minutes. All right. As much as I want to ask this question, I, can, I keep wanting to ask this question. It's like, I can't do that. You know, how many of you read the article? All right. I, I won't ask you this, but look on page two, uh, 1.5. All right, I'm just going to hit a couple things and we're going to end for the night because I get a bad reputation of us getting out late every week. All right, He gives us this looks like a math equation. HP plus CP, CP plus CC equals MI. MI, if you read through the article, means maximum impact. All right, And it's how can we influence the world that God has put us in, what needs to be different. And he's pulling from the, the picture of salt and then light Salt connecting with HP and CP. So let's just jump across the page. Matter of fact, I'm just going to encourage you to do this because we have now two and a half minutes. If you haven't read the article, read the article. All right, please read the article. Here's why. I'm going to just highlight two statements. And it's not a perfect article. It's not going to be like the shot in the arm or the thing that's going to turn it for you so suddenly now you are this sharing the gospel with everybody. Uh, because remember, as we said at the beginning, the goal is not this soul-winning person who is the soul-winning star of CBC. The goal is to naturally, as we go through life, be used of God to make disciples. That's, that's really the goal. Well, here's what he says at the bottom of page 1.5. If you look at the very bottom right corner of 1.5, he is talking about arranging our lives. At the bottom of the last four words of page 1.5, talking about us arranging our lives. Arranging our lives, why? Flip the page if you would. Arranging our lives so that we can have the highest possible spiritual influence on those around us. And he goes on to say this, and this is the part I don't want us to miss. It's our responsibility to put those challenges into action, whatever they may be. It's God's responsibility to produce the the results in drawing people to himself. But the point I wanted to really hit is, and, and one of my biggest takeaways from this article was, arrange our lives so that this is happening. And that is, you know what? This class is not about guilting us. We, we, I mean, we read an article and cry, we're guilty. Guilty as charged. That's not a big, the whole, whole thing is motivating us to see, all right, if it is God, then start praying. And that means when we pray at our lunch, take that moment to add an extra 30 seconds to that prayer request and say, besides thank God for the food, thank you for helping me get through the morning, thank God for the opportunity that he's put you with such and such person to work with and say, God, give me an opportunity to reach out to that person. It may be through work, it may be through after work, it may be through a crisis that they have, whatever the case may be, but we are arranging our lives to do that. Jamie already hit on this when he's talking about this whole thing. It's high potency plus close proximity plus forget what CC is, holy smoke, I just forgot, clear communication, all right, that's the whole equation in this whole thing, but the bottom line is, yeah, we could memorize a system of sharing the gospel, that could be clear communication, but it's the close proximity and the high potency, and he throws those two together, high potency is I'm walking in faithfulness with God, growing in my faith. So then, that being said, maybe I'll just sit back and maybe one of these unsaved people will go, wow, look at that Christian. I want to go ask them what's different about their lives. And as I said, as I read earlier, good luck with that plan because a lot of people are going to end up in hell with that, but yet we've all done it. You know, it takes that next step of arranging our life so that there is close proximity. Where has God put us? It's comfortable. Like Friday night, we get the men's shoot 'em up night. All right, we're gonna gunslingers, and our guys gonna act like they know what they're doing, and they're cool shooting guns. All right, we'll have fun. But honestly, if community gets to the point where these events for men or for ladies are just about us hanging with each other and having a good time, crying out loud, let's close the doors because we're done. 
Um, there, there is at least a common ground to reach out to people who might be a coworker, friend, neighbor who likes to shoot guns. That hey, come hang with us, and maybe through that we share the gospel. So we are looking for those opportunities. Those are the easy ones, but it's those difficult people. It's those difficult circumstances. Maybe it's that difficult neighbor. The question is, will we take that step and say, God, open the door? And when I feel like something other than grace coming out of my mouth, help me to to bite my tongue and go, hey, looks like you're having a bad day. What can I do to help you? Which is not necessarily in American culture what we want to say. But in Christian culture, man, that's what Paul is saying could be the open door. Father, thank you for the time you've given us tonight. Um, Certainly, I cannot, no teacher can motivate any of us to be what we need to be in sharing our faith. Only you can do that. And the only way that will happen is when we, like John Piper has written, we recognize that God is the gospel. We aren't just gaining heaven and gaining forgiveness. We're gaining you. And if, if that's what we have lost sight of, then that's our first order of business, and that is seeking you, praying that you will incline our hearts to your word and to you, and in so doing, that light a fire in our hearts and an alertness and an arranging of our lives so that we will see life all about the Great Commission rather than a boxed-in section of our life that we do occasionally. Father, help us to see that. Help me to see that. Help us together to be encouraged in the weeks ahead with the doors you open and pray in Christ's name.